Welcome to Gender Pitch, where we feature storytelling between women focused on sharing personal narratives about the often complex and unpredictable journey of being a woman in a global world. These powerful audio diaries bond, teach, and entertain a community of culturally diverse women who understand that there is power in our collective voices. Speak up, say something, be heard. Her voice matters. Now, let's get right to it. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us again today. We are going to do something really special. We like to call it an encore presentation. We felt that this particular episode had such an impact on a number of our listeners that we wanted to share it with you again. Take a listen. This story is in regards to a, a medical procedure that a woman experienced that uh, completely changed the way that she saw things in life. And she talks about her processing that particular event. And I think it's really important that we are able to discuss these types of things amongst our community and find some sort of um, camaraderie and, uh, you know, sort of share similar experiences. So this is really important, our encore presentation of um, this particular story. We also have another story that follows this one where a woman shares her story of um, how she dealt with a loss in her life. And it's not sad, it it, it actually is encouraging and, and heartfelt. So take a listen, and again, thank you for joining us. Be sure to visit our website, genderpitch.com, so that you can also share your experiences. We're really looking forward to hearing from you. Um, so this is the story of my experience of going through um, a health issue uh, that resulted in um, my inability to become pregnant or carry children. Um, my whole life, I, when I was younger uh, and through adolescence and my 20s, I didn't think much about having children. I didn't think I wanted kids. Um, it wasn't a priority, uh, something I thought I could, if I wanted them, I could do that later. I wanted to travel and have experiences. Um, I have sisters uh, who had children, um, planned and unplanned, uh, at young ages, uh, and into their thirties. Uh, my mom had kids starting when she was young. Uh, so I saw, um, how wonderful children could be, but how kind of disruptive to goals and plans, things like that. And so I wanted to be able to do all of those things that I wanted. And I hadn't really found uh, a partner, even though I was in a committed long-term relationship. Uh, it wasn't something I could see us doing, uh, just how our dynamics were. So I, I put it off. And then in my 30s, um, I started to have uh, excessive uh, bleeding and cramping. Uh, extended periods, even though I was on birth control. Um, uh, and so I went and had a ultrasound. Um, and I had previous to that never really had any issues. I was one of the lucky ones that for the most part didn't, you know, have any problems with my periods. Um, when I was a teenager, when I first had my period, they were a little irregular and long, but once I got on birth control, um, they were pretty inconsequential to me. Uh, so the heavy bleeding was, uh, unusual. And so for a couple of years, um, it was just started to get more and more, more progressively worse. 
just uh, heavy bleeding. Um, and then when I had the, the internal ultrasound, um, they said I had a fibroid. Um, it was, you know, not endangering my life. A lot of women had them. Most of the time, it's not a big deal. They didn't even suggest at the time getting it removed. Um, they thought if I did want to get pregnant, it could be an issue, but it could not. Um, so just kind of said, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, I was living abroad, um, so I wasn't kind of going to the doctor as regularly as I should have. Um, and then when I moved back to the state and got good insurance, had a good job, I you know, wanted to have it taken care of because the bleeding was getting uh, really intrusive into my life. I was going through tampons and pads and um, just at an excessive rate. And then I started um, kind of passing clots, which kind of scared me. Um, I didn't know what that was. And so um, I went, I did go on a journey of discovering the variety of, um, I had no idea that there were extra, extra um, large tampons, huge tampons that I had to change hourly with a pad. Um, I did not even like to leave the house really for more than an hour at a time. Um, at work, I uh, kept extra clothes. <clears throat> I had towels in my car so I could sit on them. Uh, it just kind of was very draining and my whole day focused on that. Um, so after going to the doctor, through several ultrasounds, you know, they confirmed the fibroid was there. Um, and they said about having numerous, you know, a procedure that would take care of it. So the first one was uh, what's called a myomectomy, and they shaved basically the fibroid down. Um, and so that is successful for a lot of women. And I only had one fibroid. And, you know, there were stories about women who had, you know, a dozen fibroids. and. Um, so I thought I was, I was lucky in that. And then that did not actually impact the bleeding to any degree. So a few months later, I had another myomectomy, um, and they did it a little bit, I guess, deeper in, um, and then used cauterizing. You know, they thought that might work. That did not have an effect. Then they sent me in for a procedure that was uh, a bit different where a radiologist would actually go in um, and put like silicone balls into, I guess it was the artery feeding into the fibroid, basically like stimming the blood flow. And then I had to get an MRI done to have that procedure. And they, in scheduling issues or something, miscommunication, I didn't have the MRI until right before the procedure was scheduled. So when I went in the morning of the procedure, they informed me that uh, they could not do it because the fibroid was actually embedded into the lining of the uterus. Um, and so that, that wasn't a uh, placement where this procedure was an option. Um, and I burst into the tears in the uh, prep room um, and the poor radiologist looked very nervous and kind of backed out. And so um, it had been at this point about four years of just incredible bleeding, you know, through all of this. And I still wasn't thinking primarily about having kids, but it started to kind of weigh on me that it, because this was coming from my uterus, that it was like defective. I was defective as a female, as a woman. Um, and I had come from a family 
of women that had kids that were in the medical field who were not religious at all, but, you know, kind of spiritual in a sense and had, you know, Mother Earth and looking at the uterus as the seed of the woman. Um, and I kind of grew up hearing this. Um, and so... Uh, and none of my sisters and my mother at the time, we had extended family that had had other fibroids and things like that. But my immediate family did not have any any kind of health issues like this um, or any other kind of health issue, really. And so, and being the only one that didn't have kids, you know, it was kind of further proof that I somehow didn't measure up. Uh, once I went back to the doctor um, and, you know, we talked through some options and that that procedure was kind of the last option really of, of kind of alternative ways to handle this. And so um, when we talked about it, she said, you know, we can, we can try an ablation, which is completely cauterizing the inside of the uterus. So if it's cauterizing, the lining won't shed and... Theoretically, it would stop the bleeding. Um, I would still have my uterus, but because when you cauterize your uterus, you you could not, uh, an egg cannot be implanted. It would be impossible for me to be pregnant. Um, I was still on my ovaries, so, you know, there could be alternative ways. I kind of was exhausted by that point because I was so bleeding so heavily um, and constant that, and which led to kind of a severe bout of anemia, which I, I think people take, take that lightly, but uh, sustained anemia over years um, really does affect how you think, uh, not just your energy level, but it's really just exhausting. And, uh, you know, focus, I had a hard time focusing. I could do my job, but everything else was just very exhausting. So, um, so we decided on the, the ablation and, you know, she kind of, I was in my mid thirties by this point. Um, so kind of getting close to having to make those decisions. Um, and I was separated at the time from the person I was in the long-term relationship with, um, who I thought I'd always, you know, we were separated, you know, I would end up with them. And so I kind of, uh, without really discussing it with anyone, I decided to do the procedure. I think I, I uh, being someone who wasn't outwardly emotional or talked about things, I struggled on how to talk about that with someone. I think because I felt uh, that I had been kind of vocal about not wanting to have kids, it seemed ridiculous for me to be upset about it. But you know, in my head, I had always, even if I didn't want children, the experience of pregnancy was always very fascinating to me. You know, having friends and family that I was close to that, you know, while they were pregnant, talking about that, feeling the baby, just the whole experience. And, you know, and I had, was even, would have been even open to the fact of, you know, being a, carrying a child for a friend or something like that, or family member. So the, the, I think pregnancy was more valuable to me or, or an experience I wanted to have even more than actually having children. So the idea that, that the ablation would just, the one part of that would be taken away. But I felt that I couldn't live the way I was living. Um, and medically, there, there wasn't really anything to do since the myomectomies, you know, had not worked several times. The alternative ways to take care of this wasn't an option. And, 
you know, for whatever reason, having this one extremely large fibroid was just causing more bleeding than a lot, a lot of women may have with, you know, five or six fibroids. So, um, because I was defective, I had to mostly experience that on my own. Hey ladies, ever just wanted to talk about something painful or something funny that's happened to you? What stories are you holding inside? Gender Pitch, the podcast, wants to hear them. You don't have to be a professional storyteller to tell your truth. Just record it and share it with a community of women just like you at genderpitch.com. Your story will become a part of a collection of audio diaries where women share life's experiences and how they've managed to move forward. Join us on a journey of self-discovery, realizing you're not alone. Gender Pitch, available now on Spotify. Or I had no, because I had not kind of overtly wanted children, that I had no right to feel upset about it. So after the ablation where, you know, the success rate of, of stopping the bleeding is fairly high from what my doctor told me. Um, there was absolutely no difference in the bleeding. There were a few times I passed a clot that had I thought I could be pregnant, I would have thought I miscarried. Um, it was just such a massive amount of clots and, and um, you know, I could feel them kind of coming out. I remember sitting on the toilet for 20 or 30 minutes and just um, with blood just kind of pouring out. Um, so after, you know, waiting an amount of time to, to make sure that it, it actually hadn't worked. When I went back to the doctor, she pretty much said, you can live like this. We can continue to do myomectomies that don't seem to do anything. We can, you know, but having a, having your uterus removed is the only way you're going to stop this. Um, at this point, it had been about five years. So it was just, I was tired. So at that point, I had already lost the ability to be pregnant. Even with the hysterectomy, I would retain my ovaries. So, you know, if at some point I wanted to have a surrogate or something like that, that could happen. So I'd already, you know, lost that ability. But taking that extra step of actually having it removed was, I think, even more devastating at the time. I think it it hadn't hit me that the ablation actually had taken away that ability and having the uterus removed actually just really sealed the deal. Uh, so when that happened, you know, I wanted to have the procedure done. That really wasn't any point. Uh, my mom came up to help and uh, her and my sister <laughs> offered it to ever be my surrogate, although having your mom as your surrogate might might be a little odd um but you know if I ever wanted to do that and so I had that done and then for about six months um I think I went into a pretty depression and kind of self-destructive phase I quit my job I uh moved back in with my ex I started drinking heavier uh probably the heaviest I've done going out things that I hadn't done since my early 20 in the 20s um i just it, there was a, a balance of kind of feeling free and then not processing even from back from the ablation not ever really processing how i really felt about it and i think in the end it was fine i mean there was health there was health reasons there were you know there was a lot of stuff 
reasons that led me to that decision and that even in a better, healthier mental mental state, you know, that still would have been the, the steps I would have taken. But the fact that I, that even if that never would have happened, I probably still wouldn't have kids today. Um, maybe, maybe different life choices um, leading up to that would have, would have led to finding someone or uh, being in a position where I would have had them on my own. You know, you never know. Um, but, you know, there's a good chance that I never actually would have had children to begin with. Um, but I think having the option removed, along with feeling that I somehow didn't live up, whatever being a woman is, and I think unintentionally uh, the dynamics of the women in my family and how celebrated being a woman is and kind of fertility, which I think is great. I mean, in, in, in no way, you know, should that not happen. So I felt isolated and couldn't reach out. So in the end, I think I made the right decision that even if I didn't have the ablation, there was a chance I could get pregnant, but it, there was a good chance it may have been difficult um, being in my 30s, not at peak fertility. I think in the end, um, the, my quality of life, having that done, um, certainly improved. I don't have a period anymore. I never have to worry about that. I never have to buy tampons again. I never have to think about it on vacation. So there's things like that. I think if other women um, were to go through this, I don't know if they would feel the same way I did. Some women don't. And I, th I think the value to me, I've known a variety you know, of women, female identifying um, individuals uh, that have had such a broad experience of everything, of life choices they make that without judgment, you know, I understand it's, it's individual. And so even though I did not give myself space in the experience of women, I would hope that other women would. And that we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt that our feelings uh, whatever, how complex they are or how simple they are, um, that they're valid and that every woman has a, has a space to express it and that whatever that experience is does not devalue or take away from identifying as a woman. Hey ladies, ever just wanted to talk about something painful or something funny that's happened to you? What stories are you holding inside? Gender Pitch, the podcast, wants to hear them. You don't have to be a professional storyteller to tell your truth. Just record it and share it with a community of women just like you at genderpitch.com. Your story will become a part of a collection of audio diaries where women share life's experiences and how they've managed to move forward. Join us on a journey of self-discovery, realizing you're not alone. Gender Pitch, available now on Spotify. So let's take a moment and let's think about this for a minute. You know, we clearly don't want to revel in stories such as the last one that we just heard. But I think it's important, again, that, you know, we're able to talk about these things. These are things that are happening to women all over the world um, and that we can uh, share in these experiences. Let's get ready to hear our uh, second story. Again, listen to the story behind the story. 
So I'm sitting here by the window, you can hear the crickets outside, trying to think of stories in my life that were true rites of passage. And as a black woman, it's been very interesting growing up in a Portuguese family. I was adopted by a Portuguese family. <laughs> and one of the things that were really important to my family were motorcycles and motorcycle trips and biker rallies and the whole bit. And my dad, God rest his soul, took me on a motorcycle trip to Sturgis, South Dakota when I was 14 as an eighth grade graduation present. <laughs> it was just so crazy because I remember looking through the headlines this past year and seeing, you know, everyone planning to go to Sturgis and thinking that was so crazy because of the current pandemic. And by no surprise, of course, it became a super spreader event. But if you back up to when I was 14, I'm 36 now, um, it was a big deal. It was one of the very few trips I took where it was just me and my dad. And I remember riding on the back of his motorcycle for 2,000 miles from Boston to Sturgis. And a couple of significant moments on the way where, you know, I was very tall. I'm 5 foot 10, 5 foot 11 now, and I was that tall then. And there were moments where we would park to get to the motel on the way there and people would come up thinking that I was his girlfriend, which was very creepy, but in hindsight made sense based on biker culture. Um, and then there was a moment where my dad tried to give me the birds and the bees talk and I'm standing behind him and we're walking, you know, down a sidewalk and he starts talking and all I can think in my head is, oh my God, I'm calling my mom. I'm calling my mom. And so I ended up talking to my mom and she was just like, put your father on the phone. <laughs> oh man. And so we finally arrive in Sturgis right past a field of sunflowers. I have never in my life seen anything like this or since. It's I mean, imagine a, a cornfield, except they're all sunflowers. It looked like a postcard in real life. And beyond that field, down the highway, it just splits and opens up into this town. And motorcycles are lining the sides of the streets, like trees line the sides of highways, glistening in the sun, all different types, all different sizes, all the way across all of the fields that there were as making rows and rows and rows of bikes. And it was so inspiring because when I saw those motorcycles, I saw community a community of bikers who would who help each other and so you know we park and and you know old school hardcore my dad we we camp we don't go to a motel once we get to Sturgis you camp out and down the aisles of motorcycles is this truck um of ice where this guy has a a speaker and he's just yelling ice <laughs> And he went by three times a day, and that's when you got your ice. Um, and I just remember, you know, in the tent, lying next to my dad, feeling like a total badass and wanting to hold on to that moment for the rest of my life. <laughs> and I guess I still have. But, um, you know, in the mornings, we would get up and I would go off to the women's bathroom. And little did I know that bikers are also free spirits and no one was wearing any clothes in the women's bathroom. So I very quickly took my shower and I really wasn't sure what to do because that wasn't the culture of, you know, my home. And I came out, met my dad back at the tent. And since it had rained the night before, 
he took all of our clothes out of the bags in military style and laid them across the top of the tent to dry in the sun, including my underwear and my training bra. And right after that came another call to my mom. Oh, man. But just as I sit here, I remember flashes, you know, flashes of going into into the convention center and seeing the newest technology coming up for motorcycles then and, and just moments, glimpses of me walking down the sidewalk with my dad, glimpses of me watching my dad as I sat behind him on the motorcycle, you know, going from town to town, sightseeing. And it just brings up this feeling of freedom and this feeling of joy and sitting in my chair here as a 36-year-old woman thinking back and wishing he was he were here but also being super proud of those little little bursts and little moments that he gave to me feels like gifts now looking back and wondering what he would think of the world as it is today but uh <laughs> I don't know I think that's something to hang on to you know it's something something to really not only cherish but remember remember to take these trips and remember to have these moments and remember to remember to, to experience the details of life, the glistening of the sun off of the chrome on the pipes on the motorcycles, you know, the fields of yellow and green of the sunflowers, the wind across my shoulders as we drove down the highway, you know, even the bugs splattering on my face shield of my helmet while we sat on the motorcycle, all those little things, you know, it just, we're sitting here in the middle of a pandemic and isolated and I can't help but crave these stories. So that's why I figure it's important to share my story with you. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Um, be sure to uh, join us over the next six weeks. At least we'll be um, working with the South Bend Museum of Art, who is uh, allowing us to work through them and launch this podcast through them as a part of the Dear Hans exhibit in South Bend. Be sure to uh, visit their website at southbendarts.org. And if you have any stories that you'd like to upload or that you would like to hear, please let us know. Again, visit the website, genderpitch.com. I give some tips, some prompts, because sometimes we don't know that the stories that we have actually can benefit other people. So take a look at those prompts, address those prompts. You can do a long story, a short story, or come with your own story. We'll be happy to post it as long as it's beneficial to our uh, listeners of uh, strong and getting stronger women. Take care, everybody. Thank you guys for joining us again. Listen, you can always go to genderpitch.com to share your own story. It's one of those things where the more stories that we have, the more we're able to share with each other and help each other with those things in life that are unique to women's experiences. 
Remember to tell everyone about what we're doing here at Gender Pitch. Um, Be sure to participate as much as you possibly can. Just leave us some feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Again, that's genderpitch.com. We can be found on Spotify, um, as well as at the South Bend Museum of Art, which again, I'd like to thank them for including us in one of their exhibits, the Dear Hans exhibit. We are looking forward to continuing to work with the SBMA. We are also looking forward to expanding our broadcast a little further, a little later on in um, the upcoming year. We will have some brand new episodes for you. So we're definitely looking forward to that. Remember, there is power in our collective voices. See you next time. Thank you to everyone who has submitted their story. At Gender Pitch, we realize that sharing your experiences isn't always easy, but we know that your story might just encourage someone to laugh, cry, or even share their truth. Remember, you're not alone, so speak up, say something, be heard. Her voice matters.